Podcast Leadership Forum, a conversation with leaders who serve the public good. My name is Trevor Brown, and I'm privileged to serve as Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University, where we aspire to fulfill a simple phrase that Senator John Glenn used to describe what we do, inspire citizenship and develop leadership. I also have the honor of serving as the host of this conversation series. So welcome to a thoughtful and reflective conversation about leadership. I'm joined today by Dr. Reggie Wilkinson, who has had many public service roles, most notably as the director of the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections for over 15 years under Governors George Voinovich and Bob Taft. Upon retiring from state service, he led the Business Alliance for Higher Education in the Economy, which was connected with the Ohio Business Roundtable, and the Ohio College Access Network. He later joined the Tiffin University Board of Trustees and now serves as a member of the Ohio State University Board of Trustees. In addition to serving on a variety of other boards, several of which are in the corrections and law enforcement space, he is the president of Connecting the Dots LLC, a consulting company. Reggie, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining me for a conversation about leadership in the public sector. My pleasure, Trevor. So, Reggie, you served for just over 15 years from 1991 to 2006 as the director of the Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections here in Ohio. What were the key challenges facing the organization when you stepped into the role, and and what leadership approach did you take to those issues? Back in the early 90s, um, you know, actually extends earlier to the, you know, late 80s, um, prison systems were experiencing tremendous population growth, um, which means that we had to build more prisons. Um, We had to work with, uh, you know, county jail systems in order to kind of help schedule when we could uh, received certain persons being committed to the state facilities. Um, parole, probation caseloads were expanding commensurate with the prison population. So it, it was a very challenging time. Um, uh, so, yeah, we looked at it as if it was just another part of the job. It wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, the main thing that we had to do was to make sure we had uh, a solid executive team, people who were talented enough to ask the what if questions, uh, people who uh, were experienced in making sure that uh, we were fulfilling all of our constitutional requirements. And there are quite a few uh, in this business. So there was a lot that we, we had to do. Um, we, I spent a lot of time as the head of the agency uh, working closely with the legislature, other stakeholder groups, uh, because as the head of the, the agency, it's just not the internal environment that's important. The external one becomes uh, equally as uh, interesting and important uh, in carrying out, you know, that that role. So let's let's start there then. That external role. What what was your approach to the state legislature? How, how did you um, bring forward whatever the case was to secure the funding perhaps to, to build out the, the prisons you were describing? And what were some approaches that worked and some, some that didn't? Well, of course, you always have to um, present a budget and um, 
and eventually defend that budget once it's signed off uh, by the governor's office. Um, but I didn't want to wait until the budget time to, you know, make sure the, the key legislative members uh, knew what our agency was engaged in and what our concerns were. Um, so I spent a lot of time on both sides of the aisle, you know, talking to committee chairpersons and people in strategic positions in the Ohio General Assembly to help educate them uh, about the agency. Um, and so I, I thought, so when, you know, when the time came that, you know, we had to present our budgets, then some of the issues that we were working on would not be foreign to them. Um, and that seemed to be a good strategy, you know, from my perspective and apparently from theirs as well, uh, because I was typically well received during budget time. So you came up as an insider. You were a warden and then deputy director. Um, talk about the advantage, disadvantage of coming into a role like that as someone who knew, knew the system and, and the organization well. Did that make it easier to transition away from sort of that inside management and say, I can focus on the outside because I know the stuff so well? Or did it make it harder because you knew all the things that needed to happen inside the system? Well, the, you know, the answer was probably yes, you know, to, you know, to both parts. I mean, it, it was hard because I didn't want to presume that I had, you know, that I knew the system well enough that, you know, I could, you know, get what I wanted, you know, and, 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 and that was absolutely, you know, the right thing to be thinking about because I, I didn't know, you know, it's not, is sometimes is is only when you're in that seat, when things become you know, apparent that uh, are differently important than previous positions, such as the deputy director or prison warden. As a prison warden, you don't lobby the legislature. As the director of the agency, that's a major part of your job. Uh, in fact, you know every person who is uh, the head of a st state agency is a certified lobbyist. You know, we had to file for our lobbying card, you know, every year. Uh, and so, I mean, within rules, of course, but, you know, we we were allowed and expected to make sure the members of the General Assembly understood our departments. So you said that your strategy was effective. You were well-received when, when budget times came around, and part of the strategy was just educating uh, legislators about the, the work that you the agency does. Do you recall um, legislators who who weren't convinced by your appeals and who were perhaps not so supportive? And and how did you approach those folks who who didn't necessarily agree with not only your budget request but just the whole purpose of rehabilitation and correction? Well, I, I knew that. There would be, you know, points in time when individual legislators would, you know, not necessarily agree with, not necessarily me, but something the department stood for in their minds, uh, which is why it's important to, you know, make sure leadership uh, understands, you know, what you're doing. The, you know, president of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, you know, you know, key, you know, chairpersons, and, and if there is a, a member of a, a committee or, you know, someone who's not in that level of leadership in the legislature, 
uh, sometimes it can offset, but it doesn't mean uh, that we disregard, you know, that person because you may have uh, support from the leadership. Uh, it means that you have to sometimes spend more time with those persons to help them understand. I was a big fan of even, you know, help uh, allowing legislature legislators to tour, you know, mm -hmm. institutions so that they can see firsthand rather than, you know, from hearsay. And were they open to that? Was that was that something they were willing to do? Usually they they are, but used but they were more interested if they had a prison in their legislative district, uh -huh. you know, because they got I think more mileage out of out of doing that. It was they became they had constituents who work in the prisons, and then you know it was a big budget issue for some towns. Sometimes prisons were you know, the Amazon of, of small communities in the state, and they wanted to be a part of it. Um, so, you know, and they, you know, you wanted to make sure that, you know, prisons were operating as safely as they possibly could. Uh, and they needed to know as much about it as, as, as they could understand because they had constituents who, who worked there and they would often talk with them. So, Let's transition to talk about another sort of boundary spanning activity. Just now we're talking about you in your role as director, uh, reaching outside the organization to deal with the legislature. But um, by being a director, there are 20 some other cabinet level agencies and organizations in state government. And presumably you weren't just a silo, you perhaps had to work with some of those other agencies. Uh, tell us, you know, which were the types of agencies you had to collaborate with and how did you foster that collaboration? Sure, yeah, there, there were uh, the other, you know, cabinet level agencies, but there were also um, boards and commissions and oftentimes mm -hmm. you would cross paths with um, the, their functions. Um, and so, uh, but it was mostly the the cabinet level agency directors, that was the most critical uh, in terms of, of collaboration. Uh, and just about at every turn, every agency had some interaction with uh, all the other agencies, especially the institution agencies. Um, there were criminal justice clusters, for example, the Highway Patrol, the Department of Youth Services, um, and, um, the, the National Guard, where, you know, you would have just kind of a professional interaction, but at the time we operated farms. So I worked closely with the uh, Department of Agriculture and mm -hmm. the Department of Natural Resources. Um, of course, we had prisoners with mental health challenges and we would have to work with the Department of Mental Health and the Department of Developmental Disabilities. Uh, so there was um, a few agencies that I didn't that we didn't have some sort of at least irregular contact with. So you've just painted a picture that, that lots of different agencies and at various times you might need um, collaborative relationships. How did you build that? Were those pre-existing relationships that predated you built by the previous director or were those things that you had to foster de novo? And if so, how did how do you do that? Well, sometimes there were relationships uh, that were in place before uh, I was appointed director. An example would be uh, the Ohio Department of, of, of Alcohol and Drug Addiction Services. And that agency is now spun into the Department of Mental Health. But, 
you know, that agency was responsible for auditing and counseling the department on uh, substance abuse, you know, uh, alcohol uh, addiction training, you know, for, for prisoners. And, and that's something we did long before I was appointed director. Uh, when I became director, however, we looked at how we could intensify, you know, that relationship with, you know, that particular agency. As director, one of the biggest challenges that we had was working with prisoners who were diagnosed with a mental illness. And so it became extremely important that we work with uh, the State Department of, uh, of Mental Health. In addition to the what was the Ohio Department of Mental Retardation and Developmental Disabilities, now just the Department of Developmental Disabilities, because we had a lot of and still do have prisoners who have intellectual disabilities, uh, even though they're not uh, been diagnosed with a mental illness. How do you build those relationships? Was that a responsibility you took on as director or did you have uh, sort of staff who were were involved or both? Yeah, kind of both, but you know, I, I think it starts at the top. Um, you know, at cabinet meetings, we would caucus with persons and explain issues, and they would do the same with me if there was a concern. Um, we would, um, you know, have lunch, you know, pick a telephone, you know, have conference call. You know, we didn't have, you know, the luxury of texting and zooming and all those kinds of things in those days. It was you know, beep somebody or you know, set up a lunchtime between you know, administrative assistants. Um, but but it seemed to work and we didn't know the difference that, you know, we, we weren't as efficient as, as anybody else. But you just have to take a personal initiative and you do that by developing personal relationships with those persons and not just, you know, casual ones where we see each other every so often. I struggle with this as a, a leader in a higher ed set, setting. Um, as you and I are doing right now, you use the word efficiency. It's so easy to just jump on Zoom and have a call, um, have, a, have a, a conversation. And yet I feel something's missing. I miss the pleasure of just sitting in a room and chatting with you. We had a nice lunch a month, a month ago and I, I got the pleasure of getting to know you a little better then. If you were director now, would you counsel yourself to say, oh, it, it would be so easy to just jump on Zoom, but maybe it's better for me to walk across the, you know, walk across the street and, and meet for lunch? What, what do you think you'd do? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I mean, I love talking to you over Zoom. I love talking to a lot of other people when there is, when another option doesn't exist, but I'd much rather meet you on campus at a coffee shop, yep. you know, um, you know, and, and that was the same, you know, position, you know, that I held as director. I mean, I would much rather, uh, you know, sit down and talk for 20 minutes rather than you know, to Zoom because you, 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 you also get involved in small talk. I mean, it's good to even know more about the person than what they do, you know, for the state of Ohio. You know, so I, I think in, in those situations, you know, you develop the friendships, even to this day, there are people, you know, who I worked with in, in the cabinet, who were friends to this day, because we just did not meet, we met uh, on a personal basis and a professional one at the same time. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm interested over the next decade or maybe even sooner, we'll learn a lot as, as Zoom and other means of communication become so much a part of not just our personal lives, but our professional lives, um, how that's going to change and, and whether you and I are just old guys that like to, to sit <laughs> with people. We didn't have COVID-19, to, we didn't have COVID-19 to contend with. But, but as a, a leadership lesson, I, I'm a big believer in, in just what you said, the, those interpersonal connections, getting to know someone makes doing business a lot easier. Um, and, and it builds that trust that I think is necessary to, to, to speak on behalf of your organization. And I'm just very curious to see whether we, we move away from that as everything becomes hybrid and, and, and virtual. Um, particularly in a in a in a state where you're physically located, and you know we concentrated all these agencies primarily downtown. It'll be an interesting thing to watch over time. Sounds like a study the Gwynn College. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Let's switch topics a little bit and talk about your your area of of work. You obviously do a lot of things. You've done some stuff in the higher ed space that I want to get to eventually, but. You know, corrections um, and, and law enforcement has been central to your professional life for a long, long time. Um, and it's central to the life of state government. It's one of the consistently one of the top priority issues for, for state government, particularly when we look and see how states spend their, their money. Um, so you mentioned earlier that your term as director was a time of a dramatic increase in the state's prison and jail population. And that was not unique to Ohio. That was a, that was a national trend. What, what was your personal position on the growth of the, um, the, the prison population? Were you troubled by it? And did, or was this, as you just said, this was just the job? Um, and did it change the way you thought about um, your, your leadership, given that you'd been in the system for, for a long, long time? The fact that we had prisons that were extremely crowded uh, and much to my consternation, uh, didn't keep me from, you know, carrying out my responsibilities as head of that agency. And there were other things that I probably philosophically disagreed with, but um, I, I still, um, you know, carried the responsibility out because it, it came with the job. Uh, you know, during the time when, you know, prisons became, became more and more crowded, it was, um, it, it was not just an administrative nightmare for me. It was a personal social justice nightmare. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, because um, you know I had you know become exposed to uh, correctional systems around the world, uh, and you know we you know placed a, a lot of emphasis on locking people up and not just you know, for a couple of months here and there, but for long periods of time. Um, and we not only did that, but once they got out, we have all of these collateral sanctions or extra punishments that we impose on people simply because they have a felony conviction. You know, so this whole idea of go to prison, do your time, keep your nose clean doesn't exist. You have to contend with all of uh, of what you're not going to have access to in some cases it's licensures it's you know driver's licenses you know it's access to certain housing simply because you have a felony conviction even though that conviction had no nexus to what you may be prevented from being a part of mm -hmm. um 
so yes, it, it was something that, you know, to this day, I, I still, you know, talk about to, uh, to audiences. Uh, but I still had a job to do. Uh, I think the responsibility of a director, take me, for example, I thought my responsibility of managing the agency was in addition to, you know, my ability to have a bully pulpit about, you know, how the system uh, should fix itself. So I'm, I want to hear a little bit more about that. I'm, I'm fascinated. So I really appreciate you sharing that, that social justice perspective. And yet you said, but I still had a job to do. How did you, you know, either personally or professionally, how did you square those, those two things where you clearly saw the need for change in the system and yet the system was growing rapidly? How did you try to simultaneously manage the growth while also using the bully pulpit to, to argue for, for change? How, how did you do that? Well, I think, you know, reducing, you know, the agency to lower common denominators, such as education, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, we know, based on research that we conducted, as well as national research, that the more education you have, the less likely you might be, you know, to reconvict mm -hmm. uh, or to be reconvicted of, of crime. But people generally don't know that. So we have to tell them. And if we don't tell them, then shame on us. Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing with uh, alcohol and other drug abuse. Um, there, at the time when I was director, on average, 80% of all persons who came to prison had a documented history of alcohol or other drug abuse. That's a big number. Yep. Uh, and so we needed to remediate that to a, a degree that we could. So we offered programs in prisons. Um, but that wasn't good enough. We had to make sure that once they got out, they had access, you know, to um, addiction uh, abatement programs. Uh, so, and and you, the list can go on. You know, what do you do about persons who were part of street gangs? How do you get them to renounce their affiliation? Uh, so there are, you know, to me, it's it was just a matter of, of kind of dissecting the agency and you know, taking it piece by piece, because mm -hmm. if you looked at it as, as a whole, uh, then you might be trying to boil the ocean. So now we're in, in not an era that's the reverse, but after a couple decades of dramatic growth in the prison population, it seemed to have stabilized a decade ago. And now we're in an era where I think there are a variety of efforts to, to reduce the, the prison population, um, whether it's diversion, decriminalizing certain things that used to be felonies, um, or, or a variety of other approaches. What's your, I mean, do you see all of this as, as good, given your social justice or inclinations that you just mentioned? Um, or are there things you're concerned about in this, this era? Sure. I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say stabilized. I mean, I, I know that when you compare 80s, 90s, you know, trends to this millennium trends, it may look different, but but today even, there's still a major problem. Yep. I mean, there's a major problem with, you know, uh, communities in terms of um, um, 
shootings. I mean, I, I, it's scary to me when you see people shooting people in other cars, just driving down, you know, the interstate. It's scary when you have to put extra patrols of police officers in, uh, you know, in municipal parks. Um, so something is, is not right. You know, something needs to happen at a more grassroots level. And I have always been one to believe that as the head of the prison system, I'm not responsible for everything that happens regarding, you know, the justice system and even persons who leave prison. Uh, But but I would be remiss to say I shouldn't have a major role. Uh, And I have assumed that. And I think it was always a part of my second nature to you know, not just be a person who has to carry out a job, but also to help influence, you know, how uh, reform uh, can best be exercised. Let's switch to one of those areas of of reform. You mentioned earlier uh, that education is a big covariate correlate with with, um, being in prison. The absence of it, as you said, leads to greater likelihood. Is that, is it fair to ask, is that perhaps why you've been so committed to higher education as a, as a cause? I, I read somewhere that at a time in your life before you entered this line of work, you wanted to be a university president. Um, <laughs> what, is, uh, is your passion for higher education sort of similarly driven? I'm not sure what, what came first, uh, I, I guess, is, is what I'm thinking. Um, I have always wanted to know what the answer was to uh, Im- improving conditions in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and universities do that by educating students and better preparing them uh, to go back into communities and be productive. Mm-hmm. Well, that, so the notion was why wouldn't that same theory work for prison? You know, yeah. why wouldn't we, you know, have, you know, career tech, vocational, um, you know, um, academic post-secondary education programs in prison that do the same thing. Um, but yet we got complaints that, you know, why should, you know, inmates have the opportunity to get a college degree when they, you know, committed these crimes and you know, and my answer would be, well, who do you want sitting next to you on public transportation? Somebody who is uneducated, somebody who's pissed off, or uh, somebody who's educated and on their way to work. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, you know, education to me uh, has, has always been kind of a, a stabilizing concept that, you know, I could always fall back on. Mm-hmm. So now you've, you've spent the last almost two decades involved in the life of universities, um, uh, helping people access them. You've now served on the boards of two universities here in Ohio. So you have some insight into how they're organized and managed and governed. Do you see any parallels between the sort of role of leader, director of a state agency, namely Department of Corrections and universities, or are they totally different kinds of enterprises? No, they're they're not different uh, constructs at all. Um, there's probably, in from my perspective, more similarities than there are uh, differences. Um, and 
is, is take Ohio State, for example. I mean, it's a state-based uh, university. And I say based because it's all, you know, only a small percentage of its funding is from, you know, this, uh, the, the, the Ohio uh, legislature. Um, but they still have to follow state rules. They have to follow, you know, the, the budgeting process, the, you know, ethics process, the, you know, personnel rules, um, and uh, which were the same ones that I had to manage as a head of, of, of the state prison system. So there are some administrative functions that are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't, I think the mission is very similar in terms of bringing somebody into uh, the uh, organization, whether it's higher education, prison or hospital, the military, you want that person to be better off when they leave than when they first got there. Yep. Uh, so, you know, theoretically, there are a lot of similarities. Of course, there are differences. I don't go out and lobby people and name buildings after them. I don't do a number of things that we do now that, um, it, but even with Ohio State, their, their mission is different. It's a land grant university. It's not just uh, there to serve the students. It's there to serve the entire state. Yep. Uh, and that's what, you know, I love about the role of the, the trusteeship at, at OSU. So thinking about those two roles, role of a university president, say, and a, and a director of state agency, are there general leadership lessons that you, you think apply just as we sort of pull this conversation to a close? Are there, there things that you think are transferable across those contexts? I, I think the leadership lessons are, are rather universally and rather universal and transferable. Um, I, I and and it goes beyond just whether it's a state agency or university. I I, I think there are similar uh, leadership roles for the private sector, corporations, businesses, nonprofit uh, or organizations. I, I think you know the difference has become in the specific mission you know mm -hmm. that you have and what you have to do. And many of those are more management functions than they are leadership functions. And we yep. when when you become a leader, I mean, it's your responsibility to, you know, make sure that you have the right talent, that the culture of the organization is one that uh, is going to um, be uh, an advantage for, for the group. Uh, so, you know, I, I am a big believer that there are leadership principles and theories that are rather universal uh, regardless of the type of organization you're affiliated. Well, Reggie, thank you for this informative, engaging conversation. And, and more importantly, thank you for your multiple decades of service to the state of Ohio and, and, and personally to The Ohio State University. We, we are benefiting from your wisdom and, and your good governance. So, so thank you for joining me today and thank you for serving, serving us. It's my pleasure, Trevor. <laughs>